This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Bane, here we are, episode 12 El of the Strength Anger podcast. Today we are going to talk about various powerlifting programs. Yeah. But let's start. Like other podcasts or like programs to train with? Uh, training programs. Oh, okay. We're not going to talk shit about anybody else? No, nah. not today. Okay. Maybe someday. Maybe someday, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that in, in fighting. That's not my thing. No, nah, that's really not. Definitely not your thing. I mean, you're the state chairman. You should be able to take care of this. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> uh, let's let's start with some feedback from last week, Payne, which we recorded seemingly like two weeks ago. That's really what it feels like, man. We do the Friday records. It's uh, it's a lot. Uh, o- overall, everything I'm getting is just it's positive, but a lot of it is uh, it is our friends um, and people we know, uh, and so I don't expect it to be a lot of negative feedback. Uh, though I have had some folks independent of the powerlifting community reach out to me uh, about the podcast. And so that's more to come on that. But uh, one, positive feedback. But two, I think uh, potentially some additional things coming uh, on the podcast for that. So but overall, I said very positive. My wife did not like the last episode. So there's, no. some, there's some negative feedback. Yeah, whatever. She said it sounded disingenuous, which I said was kind of the point. Yeah. But I guess it's hard because she knows me so well. Yeah. She knows when I'm bullshitting. Well, I uh, I feel hurt, um, Jackie, and uh, <laughs> I hope you take this and, and just, you know, know that you have hurt my three feelings, and I don't like it. I only have two feelings, so it's even yeah. harder to hurt mine. I, I get it. I get it. But she, she got all three of them, so. Yep. Uh, what is going on with you, Bane, since uh, we had Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since we've been around. We had the equipped meet. We did, man. It was uh, it was fun. I, I, I got to announce. Uh, I always enjoy uh, getting on the mic and having some fun and <laughs> making some people laugh. I got to do that a little bit. Uh, you know, what I really enjoyed was the national anthem. It was great. Oh, my uh, gosh. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. So we recorded this before oh, the Midwest Equipped Open, but it got released afterwards. So it did. <laughs> it's always it's always like a scramble right before the meet. I don't know why I don't think about this until two minutes before the meet's supposed to start. Most of the time, Jan, Jan. at Janagram uh, has uh, the national anthem on her phone um, for meets. I one time tried to download it myself, but I don't know my own iTunes password because somehow it got combined with my wife's. And then I said, hey, can I have the iTunes password so I can download National Anthem? Oh, just use it on YouTube. You don't need to download that. Thanks. That's not what I wow. asked for. <laughs> I have so many things I want to say, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and so most of the time we use Jan's National Anthem, but I, I didn't. Jan was helping George at the Midwest Equipped Open. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Bane just quickly said, oh, I have uh, the Jimi Hendrix version on my phone. Not really thinking about the context of what that was. Yeah, it was, probably should have warned you. It was literally like five minutes long. And the national anthem, I think if you sing it at a normal pace, is probably, what, 90 seconds? Maybe two minutes. It, <sighs> it really is. And <sighs> I mean, it's five minutes doesn't seem that long, but when everybody's just standing and they have like a normal clock in their head on how long the national anthem's yep. supposed and to take. And he's doing his improv during. So this is what was recorded at Woodstock. Oh, my God. And... You know, it, it, you listen to it outside of the context of a pre-meet uh, anthem. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal version of the song. It really, really is. But, and, 
listening to it as the national anthem pre-meet probably wasn't my best decision oh my gosh so yeah i had some folks that gave me some they gave me some feedback on that yeah <laughs> we probably won't use that version again uh, that's that you know what i get that and I, I can respect that decision but you know what i got it out there once and hey I, again i got to spell with a you know jimmy hendrix ladies and gentlemen <laughs> so i got some good laughs, <laughs> yes uh what else is going on with you bane yeah so so there was that um you know, we had Thanksgiving. We went out to see my parents. It was fun. I got to see my niece and nephew and my sisters. Uh, really enjoyed that. Got to see my mom get really drunk. Uh, and we played Cards Against Humanity, uh, the Avengers version. Okay. And so I don't know if you ever played the game before, but... I think so. It's uh, it, great fun when you've been, you know, having a few drinks and, and incredibly inappropriate. And to hear Carol Bain say some of the things that she had to say uh, because of the cards, it was just uh, totally worth uh, the whole the whole trip out to Dixon. So, uh, most importantly, from my week uh, last oh, a couple of days ago, Saturday was Lily's fourteenth birthday. Lily, your daughter. Yes. For context. Yes. And so, uh, one of the things that I do, and I think it's important, so I wanted to talk about it a little bit on the show. Uh, I do this with my my sons and my daughters. Uh, the girls choose a place for us to go. Uh, it's usually a little nicer, and we do it up the whole the whole nine. We dress up. Uh, if we are going anywhere that's a little ways away, we'll get a nice car. We like Uber Black. Uh, do everything up the right way, and because I really want my daughters to understand what it's like to be treated nice and to uh, you know go out on a, on a really fancy date with you know really no strings attached. I think that's the the biggest thing is I never want uh, my daughters to somehow feel like you know because a man has treated them a certain way or anybody's treated them a certain type of way, they then owe them something. Sure. And so was this just you and her? Just me and Lily. That's it. My boys do the same thing on their birthdays is they take my wife out and. and you know, again, same thing. They choose. I usually call ahead to the restaurant. I tell them, hey, my son's coming in. Here's the deal. He's going to pay with my card. You know, here's my name. Here's his name. Uh, it's totally okay if you need to call me because, again, the names don't match. Let me know. We'll take care of it. So it's – but it's always a big hit with the girls because, you know, they're – especially Lily, big daddy's girl. And so she loves spending time with me. And so I said, hey, what do you want to do? And so we went to this place called the Crab Cellar in, uh, in the city. Spent a couple hours on the Magnificent Mile. She'd never been to the mile before, so it was really cool. And we went to this place, and it was off the chain. It was amazing. What's the name of the place again? It's called Crab Cellar. Crab Cellar, if you want to, you know, maybe uh, buy some advertising time on the Strength Anger podcast. Throwing it out there. Um, You know, hit us up on Instagram, at Strength Anger. Yeah, at Bane316. I was there. I tagged you guys in it. Uh, So, yeah, Awesome, awesome time. Really fun little spot. Is like a. Is that sp- selling out if we sell advertising on the podcast, or is that just selling? That's buying in. Buying in. Totally okay. buying in, man. Okay, yeah. just checking. Mo- monetizing your skills. So, it, really cool spot. We is a little speakeasy style. Uh, unlimited king crab legs, unlimited prime burgers, uh, bottomless uh, sides, and for twenty bucks, I got bottomless beer, which was awesome. Wow. Yeah, I was very excited about that. And so yeah, it was just a great experience, and it was uh, I think half happenstance and half by design because the the it's in the cellar it's in a basement uh there is no cell service and there is no wi-fi and so you have to engage with the people you're with and you know i kind of joke with lily like hey you know don't get to have your phone on you sorry honey she's like no i just like spending time with you and again all three of my feelings were touched uh <laughs> so it was uh just great great time with uh with her and uh and then getting to hang out the rest of the week with uh with the fam so always enjoy the holiday we get to spend a little time together and uh you know, watch some Disney Plus and hang out. So, yeah, I what think is, what is going on with you? Oh, I was going to just get a dovetail on that. Yeah, I mean, I do think there's some value in that. I mean, I think we all tend to look at our phones a little bit too much, and mm-hmm. at family gatherings, I do my best to try to put it away and 
you know, only when it's, we've been there for two or three hours and still, you know, drinking coffee and yep. sitting around, maybe I might check on it, but yeah, I think there's some value in putting your, putting your magic box away and, uh, spending some actual quality time with humans. Yeah. And, and live so, humans, especially with your kids. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, incredibly important. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, so what's going on with you? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's the marathon, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, I don't know, like season of running meets for me. Seems so, to be, yeah. So we had the Miss Midwest Equipped Open. Mm-hmm. Um, that had happened before. Actually, the last episode was released, but it's been since you and I have recorded an episode, Bane. Correct. And that was good. I mean, it was a small meet. We ended up only with about 16, 17 lifters, mm-hmm. but um, ran smooth. I think everybody, even the people that bombed, seemed pleased with the meet. Yeah, it was it was a very well-run well run meet. Uh, All new meets, you know, have to start somewhere. All of our meets the first year were not that big. So Mm -hmm. I think we will try to do that again. Maybe depending on when we decide to run WPC Worlds next year, you know, we'll try to place that around there. Maybe not the week after another meet. Right. Maybe we'll move the intro meet earlier in the year or remove that meet earlier in the year. I don't know. Sure, sure. And then two weeks from now, and probably by the time we release this, a week and a half or so, uh, we've got the Illinois Raw Power Challenge. Raw. And maybe not still big, uh, like 130, 140 lifters. It's a big meet. Not quite as big as the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> we don't have as many benchers and deadlifters. I don't know what's happened to them. Um, Do you have your own theories? <laughs> <laughs> I, <I'm not laughs> uh, I have some theories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I don't type up my reports, though, on a 1985 Apple II Two C computer though, and that, that makes sense. And then screenshot it. That makes sense. For the, for those who don't know, we're we're taking a few shots at some various things that we've seen on the social medias. So uh, you know, get engaged with the powerlifting community, and you'll see some of these things. It's pretty funny. Yep. But that's I think that's about all that's going on with me. Uh, you know, we had Thanksgiving. That was good. Got yeah. to spend time with family. Good. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. That's the opposite of bullshit. We're going to yeah. talk about what is bullshit next. The Thanksgiving. Oh uh, yeah, I, I like Thanksgiving because all it is is eating and getting together with family, and that's. Yeah. That's a positive holiday in my book. Throw, throw some booze in there, and I'm a happy guy. I, I watched a couple of videos on the YouTubes nice. on the history of Thanksgiving. Nice. Um, I you know recommend looking into that. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, there's there's some learning to do. Mm-hmm. So, Bane, what is bullshit? Speaking of Thanksgiving, yeah, earning your Thanksgiving meal, that is bullshit. <laughs> so, first of all. You you can't earn that meal like you just you, you can't you're if you're gonna go out and do a true Thanksgiving you're not gonna burn two to three thousand calories in the morning and then go eat it all back in in the evening it's just not gonna happen when you throw in the booze you throw in the food all the desserts you, desserts everything like you're just not gonna do that so you know what just go enjoy the damn thing uh, I actually was thinking about different things to list is that it that is uh, that is bullshit because I wanted to have kind of a running list going and I, I mentioned it to my wife as we we're heading out to my parents she's like. Or any Thanksgiving meal. That's complete bullshit. I'm like, you are not wrong, babe. <laughs> so that's, that's what we went with. Yeah, it's funny. We, for the past two or three years, we've done a Thanksgiving boot camp at 2XL mm-hmm. um, to benefit a uh, local charity, DuPage Pads, which is a homeless shelter right mm-hmm. around here. Good charity. I recommend donating to them mm-hmm. um, if you're looking at a place to donate at the end of the year here. Um, didn't have time with everything else going on this year, but it's funny you say that. I don't know if I ever use that tagline of, quote, during your Thanksgiving, but there is a popularity with fitness places of being open on Thanksgiving morning oh, yeah. for that very reason. I and, mean, hey, I'm not hating on the businesses for doing that. We did it, I think, for a, a worthy cause. But My my wife did actually a, a turkey burn 
uh, right. earlier in the week. That's so a, yeah, it totally is, a, big is thing. a thing. Um, but yeah, I think I thought that was very funny that she actually hosted and taught one of those, and then <laughs> that was the first suggestion she, she made. If you're not like hosting Thanksgiving or making food or whatever, hey, what's an hour out of your day to go do a quick workout yeah. that morning? You know, yep. Stay consistent, fitness. <laughs> so <laughs> what's uh, bullshit? Oh my gosh! You know what's bullshit is turkey. Why is turkey? Turkey bullshit? is bullshit because it's not that good. I, I get it. It feeds a lot of people because it's a giant bird, and mm-hmm. you can bake it in the oven. And that's I'm sure that's why turkey was chosen as you know the major you know, meat of Thanksgiving is because, hey, you got a giant bird that's somewhat inexpensive compared to other meats you can choose to feed a whole big group of people. But oven-baked turkey, not that good. I mean, it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I'll eat some, but uh, it's just not that good. It's not not your first choice? No. I'd I'd much rather do, I would say, almost any other meat, like goose. My brother smoked some duck, which was really good. I I would... (laughs) The, the meats that your brother smokes, I would take that over just right. about anything. We could do ham. We could do goose. We could do duck. Mm-hmm. I'd my, I'd maybe even take chicken. Okay. Um, just turkey. I don't know. Maybe it's not bullshit, but it's just not that good. Okay. I mean, it's not that great. It shouldn't be turkey day. No. no I, I can I, I can agree with that. So, yeah, turkey's bullshit. So, the topic. Sorry, sorry Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving isn't about eating turkey. It's about getting together with family. It's about... Eating lots of food is by giving thanks. And eh, if, you should be thankful you got turkey, but you could be having something better. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I think, Bane, I've finally cracked the code of my iRig 2. Um, I've, with my really, gosh, there's so many knobs and, uh, you know, hookups on this mixer that we use for this podcast. And it's really a small mixer when you think about it. Like, you look at some of the other ones out there, it's not that big. I mean, it is way more complicated than anything I know how to work. Because yeah. I'm no audio engineer. I feel like I should run over to, there's like, uh, I hear it on the radio a lot. Right here in Lombard, there's a, like a broadcasting school you can oh, go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I should like take like, you know, a couple ba- basic audio like soundboard mixing for dummies yeah. class from there. And you know, maybe that's probably on the YouTube somewhere. Yeah, it, it is kind of. I, I watched some YouTube videos today, and I finally just messed around enough to, to figure out how to hook my phone into the iRig to hook into the mixer to do a mix minus. Oh, yeah. I, that, that was our couple awkward phone calls. I legit <laughs> thought that was like a problem when you called, like, Eric never calls me. Oh, God, I know. what's going on? I was like, I wonder if Bane's actually going to pick up. There there are a few people that I, I will almost always pick up for. Oh, okay. and, or, and one of the things is, again, because you don't call me that often, I'm like, okay, this is either a, a legit emergency <laughs> – uh, or I did not realize that I, that I fucked something up and then <laughs> Twitter come back to 2XL. No, I figured if I'm bugging somebody about this stupid iRig and hooking up a phone into the for the yeah. podcast, I should call the guy that's going to be doing it with me. Makes sense. Um, so I think I finally had that figured out. Long story short, we're going to finally have an actual interview yes. probably next week. I did, I should have put the, put the computer on this afternoon. I talked for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes with Wayne Pullum for the WPO. We talked about a whole bunch of topics. Yep. So uh, we're going to have him on, and he's going to talk about the WPO, where it came from, um, what its future is. I think, gosh, Bane, you better buckle down because Wayne can talk for a long time. Sweet. Uh, he's got a lot to say, and that was just him and I just bullshitting. I actually called him to ask him to schedule an interview and ask him about a couple other things we're working on. Yeah. Um, but in lieu of that today, we are going to go through some of the – Powerlifting programs, not podcasts, but mm-hmm. training programs mm-hmm. um, that are 
most popular. And, you know, I'm going to preface this by saying I have not done every program in the world. I don't know about every program. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go through the ones that I personally have used, Mm -hmm. I've seen used, and that I think probably Bain has used some variations of because we can intelligently talk about things we have experience with. I can um, talk about it. I don't know if it's very intelligent, but I can certainly talk about it. <laughs> I think I can intelligently talk about yeah, the ones I, I, we're talk I think about you today. Can. I think you can. Remember, kids, a lot of blows, blows of the head, so there's not a whole lot left up here. So let's start with the one that probably people, as soon as they Google, like, basic strength program comes up immediately, and that's 531. Westside. <laughs> Westside, I don't think, is the one that comes up right away. We'll get, we'll get we'll, there. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll talk about it. So 531, uh, popularized by Jim Wendler, who ironically is a former Westside lifter oh, from, we- uh, from, from Westside and worked for Elite FTS. You know, and if you read the book, uh, you can find 531 programs online anywhere. Mm-hmm. I do recommend if you want to do it, buy the book, because A, it gives credit to the person who created the program, it's not that expensive. It's like 20 bucks for the basic one, and then you know you could get other versions. Highway robbery. You can get other versions. Um, but don't just download a, a 531 calculator. There's something to be said for understanding the philosophy behind it. But after Jim Wendler decided to quit geared powerlifting and wasn't training at Westside anymore, he wanted kind of like a, a basic strength program that he could easily progress with. Mm-hmm. And the basics of it is that you take your max, whatever that is, and this is mostly a raw program. I don't know that it really applies to geared. You probably could modify it. Actually, uh, one of my buddies, Nick Detman, was using a version of 531 um, for geared powerlifting uh, for a little bit with a couple people he was writing programming for. Mm-hmm. Mostly a raw program. You're going to take your training max is going to be 90% of whatever your max is. And that's going to be the max you're going to use for the percentages of the program. Okay. It's going to be a percentage-based program. Um, I could probably recite off the percentage off the top of my head if I had to. Uh, but it's a percentage-based program, and you're going to do sets of five one week, sets of three one week. The third week is going to be a five, three, one week, and then you're going to have a deload. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence each, five, three, one. Each week, you're going to end generally with a plus set or an AMRAP set. AMRAP being as many reps as possible. Um, Typically, this this is a three- to four-time-a-week program with the days being based around the squat, bench, deadlift, and usually overhead press if you're following the traditional 5-3-1. You can do it three days and skip the press day or put the press on some other day. Um, It's a pretty basic program. Um, I would say... For basic strength work, uh, for just somebody, not even somebody who's training for powerlifting, but just somebody who's trying to get stronger just in general and getting shape, mm-hmm. I think it's a good program. Um, the pros for me are that it's it's a basic, it's an easy progression to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very simple. You, you figure out your training. The biggest problem people have with this is they don't actually use 90% of their max as their training max. They think, well, I'm different. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to use my regular max or even worse, use their projected max that they think they probably could do on a perfect day. Ugh, just remember, none of us are special. Right. So make sure you, you, you take a number. If you want to do 5 through one take a number that you've actually done in the gym. Um, take 90% of that and use that as your training max. And if anything, err on the side of being lighter than heavier. Yeah. Um, and you, you are practicing the big three and the actual form of the big three. Um, the cons to me are that Sometimes those those high rep plus AMRAP sets don't always translate over to limit strength or one rep max strength. And I've never found it to be particularly effective at peaking for actual meets. 
Um, and I would, I would add on to that for lifters that don't have proficient technique, those plus sets can lean towards causing them to have a breakdown of technique. Now, if you follow it the way it's written, Wendler would say, once your form breaks down, the, the rep, the rep set is over. The AMRAP set is over. But are we honest with ourselves when the form is breaking down? Right. That's where it's helpful to train with other people and mm-hmm. be honest with yourself. Yep. Um, any any experience with five three one band? Have you ever used that? <clears throat> I, I personally have not. And I'll be honest with you, as I walk through a lot of these, and I, and I was going through the notes today, I won't have a ton of input on like the five through one. You know, some of the other ones. The ones that I'll be able to provide a lot of uh, feedback on are like the the Morosia version of uh, the Franz system, and you know, a little bit of of Westside as I, I have utilized a, a version of that. Uh, and then I'm gonna get into some other stuff. But yeah, five through one. My my experience with that is mostly either people asking me about it, um, and just asking for my opinion. My biggest thing with with all these programs, you hit it, you know, pretty early is before you start calculating your reps and your sets and, and building that part of it, understanding the philosophy behind the training and why it's built the way it is. Because right. I think that's that is where so many new lifters get fucked up is they don't they're, they're just trying to put numbers here. They think it's just math and it's just linear and it's gonna happen for them. I think that's even bigger. You hit it right there, linear. Yeah. It is not linear. And that's one thing he talks about in 531 is yep. that sometimes you have an off day and yeah. you just do the prescribed reps and call it a day and you're done. Because theoretically, if it was always linear, then, I mean, you'd be bench pressing over 1,000 pounds right now. Right. And your plus sets would always be going higher and higher and higher. Yeah. And it's just obviously it doesn't happen that way. There, there's, no. a, there's a waved progress. And, and so, so, but understand the philosophy because at some point you're going to need to be able to train around certain things. And, and it could be, you know, your schedule, it could be injuries, it could be um, whatever. You're going to need to be able to understand if I, the, the baseline philosophy. This is like when you're doing your job, right? You have to know, have that, that deep baseline of knowledge to then translate it to how do I adjust this for continued progress and real-world world results. Sure. And there are a number of different versions of 531. There's mm-hmm. 531 for powerlifting. I mean, he's written like 531 for football. He's written he's doing a lot of sports specific. Beyond 531, he's done, you know, I mean, there's 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 a, so many variations of 531 at this mm-hmm. point. Um, the, I still use the basic kind of version of it with some people. Um, I, I've kind of adapted it to make it instead of a four-week mini cycle, um, I've made it into a five-week mini cycle and added kind of a a light week to start off with, not a deload, but like a medium light week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've used that with like uh, younger lifters that uh, we'll talk later about RPE and that, you know, rating of perceived exertion we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work with younger lifters because they always aim towards going heavier and heavier. And so sometimes something that's lighter and percentage-based works like 5 through 1 because it it forces them. If you take the calculator and you just put in your numbers and you hit times, point, whatever, that's the actual number you're supposed to do. People here will ask you, the angriest I was was, <laughs> I don't know, maybe like two, three months ago when one of our younger lifters, Joey, was, I don't think it, it, I don't think it actually was a 5-3-1, but it was a percentage-based day when he's supposed to be doing like 70% of his meat. Oh, my God. 70% of his meat best. And it was literally like 75 pounds heavier. And he, he's like, oh, that's kind of hard today. I'm like, well, it's supposed to be 70% of your meat best. This should be an easy day. And I took his meat best, which was on the board, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason I have people write their numbers on the board is so I can see him because I can't remember that shit. And I did point, did times 0.7, mm-hmm. and it was like 360, and he was doing like 425. And I took a 25-pound plate and threw it on the ground and said, what the fuck? <laughs> 
I was legitimately angry. <laughs> and you threw a twenty-five pounder, so obviously you were strong too. <laughs> right. I was. I was. I was definitely strong and angry at that time. <laughs> uh, Love but, you, Joey. But yeah, that's that's one of those where percentages do make sense if you actually follow them. Sometimes it. Yep. Percentages. I, I I sometimes will use people as a governor if they can't self-govern themselves. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes it's been even the opposite, where people that won't go heavy enough, and I've used that as to say, okay, very true. I've got a guy here who's, you know, gosh, he came in here probably 105 pounds soaking wet, and came in here wanting to gain weight and muscle, and he's gained, gosh, I think 20 pounds. He might have been a little heavier than that when he started, but I mean, he's legitimately gained 20 pounds on his tiny frame. Mm-hmm. And the issue with him is that is that sometimes he won't go heavy enough because he's just. This not, kid needs to gain weight, man. Introduce him to me. There's, there is no <laughs> way you cannot gain weight being my friend. Well, I don't do his diet. I just do his training. <laughs> I'm not. That's fine. I'll help him with that. <laughs> Still one of my favorite Eric Stoneisms ever. What's that? So a, a mutual friend of ours uh, reached out to you before a meet and said, hey, I I'm, was going to be going 198. I need to stay 181. I got sick. And this, this person is very close to, to me and my family. And your response was, uh, how are you friends with Robert Bain? You can't gain any weight. <laughs> and what I didn't know was, wasn't he maybe even uh, residing with the Bains at that point? Temporarily, yes, yes. Yeah. So how? And, and so yeah, so that that was the joke, and and we all had a good laugh over. Well, that. and I even forwarded the email to you. And said, <laughs> is, this, is this approved? Was this approved? <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my favorite stonisms. There is yeah. uh, the diet thing, but yeah, body body by Barzine worked for me. Man, I mean, if you look at some old pictures of Barzine, like in high school, I love it. He's the same height than like 180 pounds. Yeah. And if you've seen him now, like at his peak, he's probably been like 350. He's probably yeah. a little lighter right now. Yeah. But I mean, when, he, when he gets ready for a meet, I mean, he gets up there. Jesus. I mean, 200 pounds heavier. Well, you saw a plus. picture of me just, heck, eight years ago from Lily's birthday. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. The buffet's been very good. Yeah. Yep. Understood. <laughs> uh, let's go on to 1020 Life, which is uh, a program designed by Brian Carroll, Geared Powerlifter. It, it's funny that a lot of these are all designed by Geared Powerlifters. Huh. Um, and maybe that's why these are the ones I know and have followed. Mm. Um, there's plenty of programs probably divided, devised by raw powerlifters, although probably not as many because... Yeah, swipe up for them. They're on sale right now. Oh, right, yeah. Day. Yeah, they're on sale right now. Yeah, Third Wheels, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, 1020 Life is basically, if you're looking at why is it called 1020 Life, it's he breaks his training into 10-week off-season, 10-week in-season programs, which comprise 20 weeks total. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of his, his program is a philosophy that you can follow. Oh, philosophy. Ideally, ideally, you can follow for life is, mm-hmm. is the way he looks at it. Um, and so he does have separate off-season and in-season training cycles, which is one thing I liked about it and mm-hmm. why I started doing 1020 Life four or five years ago. Um, in the off-season, you're typically doing higher reps, you know, things in the three to five range, you know, starting off with your kind of traditional five sets of five and four sets of four and eventually working down towards three sets of three. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus is really on weak point exercises. That's going to be another commonality between a lot of programs. Um, I would say maybe as a weak point, ironically, or a, a, a downside to five three one is that it's not as much of a focus on, you know, hitting your weak points. It's more just on the big three. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jim Wendler might say, well, that's handled in assistance work. And oh my gosh, back in the day, if you wanted, you know, the, the elite FTS Q&A, like every day, there was like 30 questions from 
16-year-old boys asking about assistance work on 531. It doesn't change now. It's just on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, well, is this work for 531 assistance? And usually Jim Weidler would just be like, do whatever. Do it for five sets of 20 or <laughs> do it for five sets of 10. doesn't matter. Yep. It, it probably does matter, but these kids were way overanalyzing it. Um, yes. But I would say that is more of a focus on 1020 life is the hitting your weak points. Mm-hmm. Um, the in the off season is going to be RPE, and I touched on this before, but RPE stands for you know rating of perceived exertion. Uh, Carol is not unique in using RPE. Um, the reason I like RPE in the off season is because often we'll be using will I'll say you know us at two uh, XL will be using say variants of exercises, mm-hmm. and typically it's going to be like okay where is somebody's weak point on, say, a squat? And mm-hmm. then we're going to hit prioritizing that particular weak point exercise. For instance, if somebody's weak at the bottom of the squat, we might do two-second pause squats. Ew. So what kind of percentages am I going to use for two-second pause squats compared to my regular squat? 140%. I have no <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue, and it doesn't really matter. And if it's a weak point exercise, it's probably less than it should be. So I would say that's where RPE is nice because it can sort of auto-regulate. Um, and the way RPE works, it's, a, it's usually a 5 through 10 scale, 5 being a deload, 10 being a max out day. Um, you could look up RPE and you know, make this whole podcast about RPE. But I, I like it because you can... Don't you worry, know. RPE is going to come back in a future podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. I like... Let's just say it'll be a little earlier on in the in the program. You know, I, I like RPE. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like RPE because it is a way to self-regulate um, based on how you feel on the day and based on, you know, maybe an exercise that um, you have no idea what percentage you should be doing. And so usually the thought process is, well, you know, how do I determine load, especially on the big three? Mm-hmm. And usually it's going to be either, you know, something like RPE. Even if people don't use RPE, they're probably using like... You know, is this a light day? Is it a heavy day kind of thing? Um, and they're doing something like RP. They just aren't using those numbers. Um, at the end season of 1020 Life is going to be more percentage-based, and then eventually it's going to aim towards trying to figure out, you know, kind of where you want your attempts to be in the meet and testing those out to some degree. You're not doing your, your max, your third attempt in the in the gym. Right. But you're testing out, yeah, about where should my opener be, about where should my close to my second attempt be, um, sometimes using some reverse bands or chains to overload the top and feel some of that heavy weight without actually taking it through the full range of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, 1020 Life is going to have a deload every third week, sometimes fourth week. Uh, 531, if I didn't mention that, they're usually going to have a deload every four weeks. So mm-hmm. every month you're going to have a deload typically on 531. Um, and that's a much debated topic, which we'll we'll come back to. We shall. Um, again, you know, I don't think you have any input on 1020 Life. You haven't done that one. Yeah, n- nothing really. Again, I've heard people talk about it, and um, it, 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 I see the merit to it. Again, not knowing the full philosophy, I definitely see merit to it. And uh, but but I also feel like you know most of these as I look through them, you know, and I'll kind of get into some of my own uh, training a little later on. They they all follow a very similar pattern. And and so we'll get into that a little bit, actually, here with some of the front system. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, the ones that I've used are probably kind of similar because that's mm-hmm. the philosophy I use. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used 531. I've used 1020 Life. I've used the Marocher slash Franz system, not mm-hmm. the regular Franz system, which we're going to talk about next. Yes. Um, those are the kinds of things I've followed. Um, so it makes sense. It, you know, 1020 Life, 531, the Marocher 
type of cycle, I'll have, you know, usually a squat bench deadlift, mm-hmm. upper assist day kind of setup. That's typically what I've used. Um, now, the traditional Franz system um, was squat, bench, deadlift three times a week, sometimes four times a week, depending on what version of it you, you read in his book or Watch, oof. when talking to him. Um, usually it would be a light rep day on Monday, and it, this would be like a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday setup. Sometimes they would even do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Okay. I don't know what the hell they did on Friday, but I do know if you read his book, they, they definitely were training sometimes four times a week. Okay. Uh, Wednesdays typically were the assistance day. They would still squat bench deadlift, but that would, the day would be a little bit more deadlift focused versus Saturdays were more squat focused. Uh, current slang is SBD day, sir. <laughs> um, Saturdays were definitely the heavy squat, heavy bench day and focus. The focus is really on that Saturday workout in the front system. And it's a big focus on heavy singles, mm-hmm. a lot of freaking singles. Um, and that's a difference from definitely five through one where you're doing AMRAP sets, 10, 20 life when you're doing, yeah, you know, mostly work in the ranges of three to six every once in a while, close to meet some doubles and singles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while I didn't write this in here, but there's some other systems I use like uh, Fred Hatfield's Dr. Squat style program, mm-hmm. Ricky Del Crane had some similar type of programs. A lot of them would never do singles in the gym. They always have that. And Ed Cohn, if you read some of his writings, he talks about, never really doing singles in the gym. He yeah. would always work up to just doubles. Save the heavy ones for the for the meat. So Franz did the very opposite of that. Yep. A lot of freaking singles and almost always in full gear. Hmm. Um, so the pros of the Franz system is definitely that um, it's very sport-specific. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely optimizes the use of gear. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the cons are that, in my opinion, it's 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 difficult to maintain in the long term to always be doing those heavy singles. I don't know how you could maintain heavy geared singles all the time. Um, you know, going back to the 1020 life, one of the things I like about it is that because it uses RPE, you know, you can kind of do some self-auto regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, it still kind of has that focus on the big three, but it's a little bit more of a longevity type program. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the cons of 1020 Life, on the other hand, is that, you know, we talked about that it's sometimes difficult for beginners to figure out how to use that RPE scale adequately, either heavy enough or light enough. And when I've taken people off a, a 1020 Life type of program, it's been for that reason. I'll put them back on more percentage-based where it's like, okay, you can't figure out what an RPE means, a 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Right. You just either you're too light or you're too heavy. Most of the time, too heavy, and you're just going way, way too heavy, way too early. Mm-hmm. Um, and the front system, you're just going heavy all the time. So yeah. easy, easy peasy. <laughs> it's just you're just heavy singles. And you, you, the thing about some of the these protocols that we could talk about, Franz Westside, they're very coach driven, and so it works under Ernie Franz. Westside definitely works under Louis Simmons. Definitely, no doubt, it's going to work when the coach is calling your numbers and. There's probably some element of, hey, you look a little fatigued, let's go light today, mm-hmm. based on what the coach sees. Because mm-hmm. um, they understand the underlying philosophy of it all. Right. And they might see what you cannot see. Correct. Um, I never personally followed that squat bench deadlift three times a week. I don't even know how many, at the later years, I'm not even sure how many guys really followed that as much. I mean... The team definitely trained together on Saturdays, Mm -hmm. and most guys did at least squat and bench. Mm -hmm. Some guys would squat, bench, and deadlift, um, 
myself and the others that were on the Marosher team that started training at Franz, we squatted and deadlifted together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would bench on a separate day. Uh, the, the guys at Franz would definitely squat and bench together on Saturdays and then do their heavier deadlift day on Wednesday. And some of them would come in and do their own thing other days of the week or at other gyms. Right. Um, now, Eric Marosher, who's gym you now train at and whose uh, team I trained on back in those days. Yep. Um, he had kind of his own version of the Franz system, which was more like you had four typical squat, bench, deadlift, and he would call it scraps day. Yep. Uh, he would still focus on heavy singles, a lot of geared, you know, heavy singles back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he would combine squat and deadlift together on a heavy day. Um, kind of like that's f- really how it's evolved of late. Is uh, for the, for those that are following that, and this is more driven by not sorry Eric, but. I would say some of Eric's disciples. It really is a, a combined squat and deadlift. We did that at the end when Marosher was on his way moving up north mm-hmm. because um, we had the crew to train together on the weekends. Right. And so we benched Fridays and squatted Saturdays in those days. And so we would squat and deadlift together because we had people there and the equipment to do it um, right. versus in the old days. Um, it was definitely a, a Wednesday deadlift or a Thursday. I think it was always Wednesday. It's probably always a Wednesday deadlift, maybe Tuesday. And there's still quite a few people who do deadlift on Wednesdays. Sure. Uh, and do a lot of their uh, their squat assistance. But he would follow that philosophy of being more sport-specific, mm-hmm. um, training the big three, you know, a lot of focus on singles. He would have some elements of more periodization in there where it's like, okay, you're getting ready for a meet eight mm-hmm. weeks out. You're going to start a little bit lighter yep. and work up heavier, closer to the meet. You know, hit your heaviest weights two weeks out, hit your openers one week out, yep. rest the week of the meet, yep. um, which was similar in the Franz system. Sometimes Franz would even hit our heaviest one three weeks out, mm-hmm. um, do a light week, and then do openers, depending. Right. Um, uh, that's probably the type of version of Franz I followed when I was there. And I'll have to admit, I got probably as strong as fast as I ever have when I trained at Franz. Mm-hmm. Um you know, doing those heavy geared singles with the team on Saturday. And I think that was as much driven by training under Ernie Franz as it was anything else. Correct. Um, as much as the program. It, it is, I continue to follow a similar philosophy when we left Franz and had to form our own team for me, mostly due to work scheduling. But it's difficult to maintain because just geared workouts just take so damn long to do. Yeah. And it's hard to just have a crew of 10 people to do geared squats every Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Um, and I do think now the philosophy is more, hey, let's do less work in the gear. Not like they did in the old days when it was, hey, let's just put on our squat suit a couple weeks before the meet. But hey, let's just put on our, our gangstered out canvas squat suit, SBD, not yeah. uh, SDP, not SBD, <laughs> SDP bench shirts, you know, eight or 10 weeks out for a meet. And as long as you've got enough experience in it in the past, you should be able to get back into it and, you know, get ready for the meet using the strength you've gained in the offseason. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you hit a lot of the main elements that, that I've been, you know, exposed to at the, at the Monster Garage, you know, through the, the Moroja version of the Franz system. Uh, I think the one thing that, you know, Eric had always talked about with me is, uh, and the way I always viewed it is he explained it was almost like a helix approach where you would have your, basically a heavy, a heavy and light day is, you know, really what it would be. And you would have, Heavy deadlifts, whereas you would have light squats that day, and then you would have you know light bench that week, and then you have maybe heavy squats or along with it. So it would kind of work in these waves where you're still doing heavy stuff every week, 
whether it's triples, doubles, singles, uh, but then you're also doing lighter and then working up with, uh, you know, with the other exercises. And so, uh, yeah, there's always a scrap day in there, usually Thursdays. Uh, so we like to joke about with that. Uh, but then now kind of... Back in the old day, that was the day when they played Michael Jackson at the old Marosher team. Ah, uh, gotcha. So instead of Kiss for six and a half straight hours. Um, <laughs> Maybe that was Jackie Stone driven back in those days. That was... Uh, so, so, sidebar. There are two crews uh, that kind of comprise the Monster Garage. There's a Saturday and the Sunday crew. Generally speaking, the Saturday crew is a lot of raw uh, lifters. Sunday crew is a lot more of the gear lifters. And... The so set- the Sunday crew is superior. I'll just say I lift on the Sunday crew now. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, the, there's again, there's, a, there's some different philosophies, different training styles. Uh, nothing wrong with either one. Part of it was just schedule-driven for some people, but then others have drifted to either side because of the uh, the competition that may or may not be there. Um, and so for and I typically was part of the Saturday crew for a long time. I have moved to the Sunday crews again because of scheduling and some other things. Uh, but I also used to take over the music. And there came a morning where Eric was talking to me. He's like, dude, we cannot keep listening to the same songs every Saturday. And I looked him right in the eye and I'm like, hello, Kettle. Pod, nice to meet you. And he's like, what? I'm like, it's the same Kiss songs and Ozzy stuff. Every Monday night. Okay, so back in the old days before there was like iPhones and mm-hmm. iPods and streaming music services. He burned up a CD, didn't he? Yes, we didn't burn a CD. We no, just... he burned it up. Like He played it enough times oh, that it died. Yes, I mean, we played the Thunderstruck CD, oh my. ACDC, so many times on Saturdays. I would bring in like, I like went out and bought like some other AC. I like ACDC. I like it. Mm-hmm. But I brought in like some other ACDC CDs, and he's like, oh, "Why don't you put that other one back on?" <laughs> it's like, and and Eric, if you listen to this, I love you. I, I've told you that many times. But that was it's like. We, oh, meanwhile, at Franz, we listen to "Down with the Sickness." I mean, umpteen times every Saturday because that's the one that the dudes on the heavy rack wanted yeah. playing when they were doing their heavy singles. Yep, it's got a heavier song. <laughs> And it's interesting it's, you bring that up because that brings back that when I trained at Franz consistently and even mm-hmm. with Marosher and then when we transferred the system over to Team Stone, I did typically use a heavy light approach mm-hmm. back in those days. Um, and it wasn't so much necessarily a deload back in those days like we would do now, but it mm-hmm. definitely was a heavy week squat followed by a light week squat. Yep. And sometimes it would be okay on heavy squat weeks, it would be a lighter deadlift and yep. lighter squat days. It would be a heavier deadlift. Correct. Because it is hard to go heavy on both lifts in the same day, especially when we, we did that squat deadlift combined day. Yeah. And, and I would say one of the things that is, that is key, you mentioned earlier was the, the coaching that comes from the Franz system, especially with Ernie, uh, maybe not so with Eric, but like Ronald Lagaretta, uh, a couple of the other folks that come through at the Monster Garage. Ron is probably one of the best kept secrets in powerlifting. A lot of people don't know who he is. Incredibly intelligent man and uh, has helped my powerlifting career a ton. Uh, but then also the team atmosphere. Uh, I think that is huge here at 2XL with Team Stone. It is uh, incredibly powerful and important because uh, you can build a program around all these things. If you're doing it by yourself, at some point you just you lose uh, the focus, you, there's going to be off days and, and you need someone to help you get back on the rails. And, and I think the team is uh, combined with the coaching and the, the experience that comes from an Ernie, uh, Louie and Eric or whomever, uh, 
is huge and really helps kind of propel all that forward. Yeah, I mean, the major advantages of the Marosher version is that, you know, it, it is sport-specific. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to train the big three. Um, it does allow for some, like we talked about, what, you know, we'd call in the industry periodization. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that Marosher ever used that word. Yeah, not really. But that essentially I mean, is... He does know what it is, trust me. <laughs> right, I mean, that's, that's essentially what we did. We didn't yeah. have it fancily written out in an Excel sheet or on a... Uh, on a fancy, you know, training program like I do now, mm-hmm. but that's essentially what Marosher did. I use some elements of what Ricky Crane did with, hey, here's where I want to end up and work backwards from yep. that number. Yep. Um, Fred Hatfield in some of his programs I used to follow was similar. He would use more percentages, but it was the same idea of where do you want to be and work your way backwards mm-hmm. um, over the course of eight to 12 weeks leading into a meet. Mm-hmm. Um Let's uh, let's go to the the controversial one. Westside? No, Westside. What are we doing here? Westside. Now let's be fair. Uh, the only, I'm going to preface all this by saying the only people who train Westside are the guys who are at Westside Barbell in Columbus. Correct. So everybody else is training a version of Westside or conjugate. Mm-hmm. Um, Even Westside certified coaches. Yeah, I mean they're just conjugate, and that that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means that the only people that really train people call it Westside, but the only people who train Westside are the people at Westside. Just like. To me, the only people who, tr- who really trained the Franz style yep. are the people who trained at Franz. Now, you might train in a, a similar Franz style now. Um, there's a lot of people in the Chicago area that utilize some of the protocols that you know he did. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, none of us are truly following a Franz system like it was when we were training at Franz. Correct. And it's the same at Westside. So the basic breakdown... Um, of conjugate is that you're going to have a max effort squat deadlift day. You're going to have a max effort bench day. You're going to have a dynamic effort bench squat deadlift day, and you're going to have a dynamic effort bench day. So it's going to be a a four day typically program upper lower type of split. Um, I've read a lot of things on Westside. I can't say that I've necessarily bought and read the whole Westside book of methods, but I'm told that it's mostly the group of articles that used to be in Powerlifting USA and other areas. So Dude, it, if that's the case, then I've probably read most of it because I've read most of those articles. It legit sounds like somebody just seriously took they, – they just requ- they, they basically just said, hey, Louie, sit in front of this mic and just start talking about the different methods you guys use. Yeah. Because that's, that's literally all it is. It yeah. sounds like somebody just completely transcribed. There's no real and authoring to it. Back in the old days of Powerlifting USA, that essentially is what his yeah. – uh, his his articles were. That's not to say they were bad. No, but, it, and that's not to say the book is bad. But it's not written like a novel or, no. or a traditional training. No, it, it program takes, book. I would say it takes probably three to four reads to just to get the style, and right. and then you you pull a lot out of it. I mean, I've read it. I have it. Uh, my wife actually has read it a couple of times. She's pulling stuff out of it for group fitness. Kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, she, the first time she read it, she's like, "Oh my god, who is this guy?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's Louis." <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the basic premise is that you're going to do usually a different max effort squat deadlift, and that's a combined day, mm-hmm. or max effort bench every week. Every week <laughs> you're going to rotate exercises, and they're going to use a lot of specialty bars. Um, they're going to do a lot of box squats. Louis a big believer in box squats. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to do box squats. I've read some West Side guys that say, hey, you know, if you're using it for raw, you probably aren't going to do as much box squatting as a geared lifter would do, especially on your max effort work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
your dynamic effort days are kind of, you know, your what people would call speed days. Um, you're, you're working at a lower percentage and you're working on a lot of bar speed. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that, you know, if you can move weight really quickly when it gets to be heavy, that, you know, you can continue to keep that speed. And I'm probably not doing it justice for its Louis' reasoning, but... Well, speed kills, and so that's why we use uh, bands and chains here at West Ham. Yeah, and they're going to be a lot of accommodating resistance or bands and chains on those speed days especially, on the max effort days as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the major pros that they would argue is that because you've got that constant variability of exercises, um, you can do a lot of work on your weaknesses, and you don't really need to deload um, because you're just constantly changing exercises unless you need a week off completely. Mm-hmm. There's no deloads in Westside. Um, it's just you're not con- believing them. And and when I say max effort, it is just that. I mean, the traditional West Side, you're working up to a one rep max on whatever that particular exercise is for the day. Now, if you read what West Side talks about, they would say, like, yes, you're working up to a max single, but it's not like a, you know, a sniff the ammonia, get slapped, get crazy max effort all the time. Maybe when you're in your full gear training mm-hmm. for a meet, you might do that. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing, you know, safety squat bar box squats, you're not trying to get psyched up. You know, you're saying, okay, I'm going to work up to the top single that I can get for the day. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the element of auto-regulation that is lost in Westside because I and, – and, and Westside, they're pushing the shit out of each other. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that's an element that's maybe lost. Um, you know, the, the cons for me that's always – I, I was doing some research today on different training programs and reading some different opinions on them. You know, the raw lifters' argument against Westside is normally that – because you're doing so many different variations of exercise, it's not very sport specific. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I agree with that to some degree. Um, I think Westside probably isn't the program I would put a person brand new to lifting weights on. I probably wouldn't even put a brand new person to powerlifting, even if they've lifted weights before. On. No. Um, I think even at Westside, if they had a new lifter coming into the gym, they probably wouldn't say, yeah, you need every band, chain, specialty exercise right out the gate. Now, if they were with a crew, they would just do whatever they do. And that's right. probably what's, again, lost on what's done at Westside itself and conjugate. Mm-hmm. Is when you're at Westside, whatever Louis says or whatever Chuck V says or whatever the leader of the crew is says, they're, they're picking the max effort exercise. Yep. And then you're using your assistance work to hit your weak points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think it's probably one that's probably better for geared powerlifters. I I've read plenty of lifters that have used it for raw, um, and I do. But I also think it's probably one more for at least intermediate type of lifters, not a total beginner. Um, especially if you're programming yourself. To me, it's very yeah. even, even somebody who has a degree in this and has been powerlifting for twenty years and has been coaching for ten plus years. It's still kind of complicated to me. Now, I, granted, I'm not an expert on Westside. I haven't, you know, gone to Westside, talked to Lou, and studied it. But I think I probably have a better than average grasp of it, and it's still kind of complicated to me. Yeah, I would say with, it, and that's one of the things that I've talked about with some other folks who claim to program for Westside, like or, or conjugate, depending on you know who's talking. And I, I, to me, I make it very clear: like I don't feel that you can program yourself for a conjugate system. And the reason I feel that way is to your point. The, the variances, the, the need for honesty in your weak points, I think that's a, a huge thing. And I, I usually will talk about that when it comes to RPE, but it, you know when you look at the West Side, kind of how they work all the special work and all the accessory exercises, I, I don't feel that people are as honest with themselves about their weaknesses. And so I don't feel that you can program yourself for that. I do feel that you need a coach for 
utilizing a conjugate system. Uh, you know, and obviously the concept of variability of exercises, you know, joke about it, muscle confusion, blah, blah, blah. That's not what it's for. But it, there is some, some merit to that. But you need somebody who's going to be able to consistently carry that rotation because one of the you know flaws in the human psyche is you're immediately going to go to what's easy. And if you can just copy and paste, essentially, and hit the easy button, you're going to do that. Sure. Um, and I do think that West Side is probably I, – I know people that do it by themselves, no doubt. Yep. Um, but I think of any program, West Side is one that lends itself to a group training team type environment. environment. Yep. Because especially that – that max effort work, it's, you know, you're, you're, you've got teammates that are pushing you. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not, you know, sniffing the ammonia, getting psyched up, if you've got other people you're training with, you're probably going to go a little bit heavier. When you're at Westside itself, well, there's no doubt the training program works because you've got a bunch of big, scary dudes trying to break all-time world records yeah. that, are, that are pushing each other. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting because at least back in the day when I was first getting into geared powerlifting, the argument was between the Franz style and the West Side style. And Franz style was ironically singles as well, but it was heavy singles of the big three in gear mm-hmm. versus West Side was singles with specialty exercises, usually in not full gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're both using heavy singles and a training group pushing the shit out of each other. And that's the common denominator between those two groups. And even if you watched West Side versus the world, they talked about big iron. Mm-hmm. They had a slightly different system. They did a lot of heavy singles in gear and a lot of heavy reverse band work. Same thing, a bunch of dudes pushing each other and a coach overwatching them, picking their numbers for them. Right. The the other thing that that Westside hits that that isn't talked about as much, but I think it's also an important thing is when you when you're going through all these different specialty exercises, you know, theoretically you are hitting PRs every single week. Because it's and and we joke about it, but it's you know, hey, straps down, you know, against average bands you know, safety squat bar, you, you blah, have, blah, blah. You have no idea how many questions there used to be on EliteFTS.com mm-hmm. of how much band tension adds and poor Jim Wendler trying to answer those in the Q&A. And yeah. it's, I usually tell, when people ask me, I usually say, it doesn't really effing matter. Yeah. Like, just use that. As long as the bands are relatively the same right? from one workout to the next, just say it's whatever the weight is plus whatever the bands are. And, right. And you measure apples to apples. Right. But it, But it's a mentality training of consistently winning and getting better. When you're hitting PRs and you're and you're growing and progressing every single week, it, it does create, and this is one of the things that Westside is, is famous for, it, a mentality and a swagger when you come in. And so we talk about meat presence, right? We've talked about that on a few shows. When, you, when you're constantly getting better, you're going to come into a meet with a much different attitude than somebody who is maybe struggling through their prep. I think one of the – if you watch some of the West Side stuff now, the difference between what they're doing now versus even 20 years ago is that they are doing more work in the gear itself. It used mm-hmm. to be they would just throw the gear on for the for the meat almost like they used to do in the 80s because mm-hmm. the max effort work was normally done you know, in briefs. Um, the dynamic effort work was raw or maybe in briefs. Mm-hmm. And you know they were just putting the gear on right before the meat to get used to it because the gear that they use, the multiply gear, got so advanced – I think some of their max effort days became, you know, max effort singles in full gear right. or two boards for bench. Right. Um, and so you'll see them doing more full geared work than they did back in the days when it was Franz versus Westside. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the criticism back then. And sometimes Westside guys, when I saw them at meets, I'm not going to say they seemed unprepared. They mm-hmm. were strong as shit, but they didn't seem as solid, in my opinion, 
as some of the Franz guys handling the weights in the gear. The Franz guys seemed more comfortable mm-hmm. squatting and benching as, in the, as, the advanced gear. As comfortable gear. as you can be in the gear. Right. Yeah, they were, they were more solid as far as the way they handled the eccentric because they were used to the pressure of the gear, mm-hmm. the canvas and the denim bench shirts. Right. I'm not saying the West Side guys weren't prepared. They were strong as shit, and they were winning the WPO just like the Franz guys were back in the day. But right. there was definitely a difference in the way they looked. Gotcha. Next program. Oh, well, this is the one I, I think you and I probably have the least uh, experience with. And there's under this umbrella is like a bunch of different raw programs. And yeah. that's that's your high frequency, high volume programs. Ironically, almost similar to the the old Fron style of mm-hmm. squat, bench, deadlift three times a week. Hmm. Wonder where it came from. I, you know, if you talk to my business partner, uh, Howard Penrose, he would tell you that Ernie Franz's original book was the first powerlifting book translated into Russian, and that a lot of the Russian texts came from what they got from that original Franz, Ten Commandments of Powerlifting. Now, I'm sure that there was a lot of, you know, Sheko, is that how you say it? Sheko, I think. Sheko? Yeah. Sheko is certainly influenced by weightlifting, which I think were a lot of these Eastern block, yes. you know, high volume, lower intensity, multiple workouts per week of squat bench deadlift come from is a weightlifting system where, yeah, you, you clean and jerk and snatch three, four, five times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're also in the Eastern block, so you're probably, your job is to be an Olympic weightlifter. Right. Sure. You could squat 10 times a week when, you know, that's all you have to do. Yeah. And otherwise you got to go to the gulags or you got to go, <laughs> you got to go to Siberia to work in a, in a mine or something. Right. Yeah. I'll squat 10 times a week too, rather than go to Siberia. Hell yeah. Um, but you know, it's, this is the type of programs where, yeah, you're doing squat, bench three times, four times a week sometimes. Yeah, it's and this is, you know, really when I look at a lot of the raw lifters that are out there, especially, and I don't want to pick on them, but the USAPL lifters, a lot of them, this is where a lot of their program is based around is these multiple SBD days per week. And I listened in a little bit on the USAPL coaches clinic that we had here yep. and the guy that taught it whose name escapes me. And he was a nice guy. I liked him. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemed like a smart guy. He was actually showing a couple lifters some geared stuff because I think he was starting to get into gear. Mm. But uh, when I heard him talk about training programs and cycles, it definitely was along the lines of, you know, these high-volume multiple SBD days, as you would say. Right. And I do think that's very popular with your your raw lifters. I think... I don't think it works at all for gear. There's no chance that you could squat bench yeah, deadlift in gear no multiple way. times per week. No way. Um, I, you know, I, I did, I've never used something like that. I don't think my body personally could take squatting more than about twice a week. I can squat twice a week with different variations. I could do, mm-hmm. you know, box squats one day, regular squats another day, mm-hmm. safety squat bar squats one day, regular squats another, front squats one day, mm-hmm. box squats another day. I've done that for many years you know, doing a squat before my deadlift. It actually kind of helps warm up my deadlift a lot of times. Yeah. But Very I, method of you. Yeah, I, there is a 0% chance that I could squat with a straight bar three times a week ever anymore. You know, I, th- I think this is very similar to what the Eastern Block was because you, you look at a lot of those lifters that, you know, where this originated from, uh, very technically proficient. And I sure. think that's where this really kind of focuses on is trying to build technical proficiency. Super, super sport specific. Yeah. And, and then and it's the low, strength will follow. It's low intensity. Um, you know, your percentages are going to be based on what you do in a meet. And that's one of the problems with trying to use 
any kind of percentage-based system for a geared lifter is that your variables are not always the same when you're in gear because your gear doesn't always fit the same. You're not always using the same gear. You're not always having the same tightness in your knee wraps. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's difficult for a geared lifter to follow percentages versus a raw lifter where the variables are more, you know, sustained. You know, you're basically going to have the same 45-pound bar and ER rack at every workout. Um that's not the same for a geared lifter. No. You know, you're not always going to, you're just not going to have the time, nor are you going to want to handle the loads needed to do, you know, a gangstered out canvas squat suit with somebody wrapping your knees in every workout. It's just, I, there's no way I could base percentages off what I did. That's okay. A, the performance enhancers will take care of it all. <laughs> there's no way that I could base my percentages on what I did in a full geared squat when I'm doing training squats and briefs. It's no. just, it's a totally different animal. Yeah, correct. Any thoughts, other thoughts on the, the high-frequency, high-volume programs? That I mean, I, I don't mind the high-volume programs. The high-frequency, though, it's just one of those. I, I don't think it lends itself to those who have a regular life. Right. It does seem like people that follow this, and, and there are people that are like you and I, working professionals that use this program mm-hmm. with success. And there's a lot of, what's the one girl, bubbly power lifter? Oh, uh, Monica. Monica, who's Monica. a USAPL lifter. Bonica, I'm yeah. sorry, yes. I know she follows this type of protocol. Yeah. She came in here and did a workout like two days before she was going to compete. Yeah, that's when I fanboyed out with her. At USAPL Equip Nationals. Correct. And, man, I, I just, there's no way I would squat, bench, deadlift a couple of days before I competed, but yeah. she's doing it at a very high level. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can make the argument whether that is, you know, optimal or not. Um, it's working for her, um, but I would I, say. I would say she, like, She's just an anomaly in and of herself with being that elite in both single ply and raw. I don't see a lot of lifters that have been lifting for 20 to 30 years that squat, bench, deadlift multiple times a week. Correct. Most of the ones that I've been around, I've been around a lot of power lifters Mm -hmm. for many years, and a lot of master's power lifters. Most of them follow a more traditional three to four time a week upper lower type of split. And and whether it's Western periodization, mm -hmm. Franz Marocher style, or whether it's a West Side style, that's where there's some divergent. But most of the lifters I've dealt with that are over the age of 40, they ain't squatting three times a week. They ain't deadlifting twice a week. Shit, they may not even be deadlifting. Twice a month. Twice a month. Well, so again, you, you look at there's one, there's a lot of diminishing returns for them. But then two is it, it, your body has to recover. Yeah, I don't, know how you, I don't know how you recover in these programs. I know guys do, but I've also seen a lot of raw guys that uh, I was chatting with Wayne Pohl about this today. He's been chatting with some of the big you know, a couple big raw lifters about making the jump or even single ply lifters about making the jump to the WPO and come to the dark side. We have cookies. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, maybe I could extend my powerlifting career by wearing some of this gear. Oh, um, and using a, using a squat bar and using a monolift and some of these other cheater things and superior spotters. (laughs) Sorry. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. So uh, I, I know I wrote it the other way, Bane, but I've talked a lot. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you've done mm-hmm. and what you're doing as far as training styles, training programs? Sure. So, uh, you know, what I've done previously, it, it was a – when I started out in lifting, it was just – I call it a bro split, right? And everything was about – a lot of upper body because for me playing soccer I'm like I do enough lower body in that regard and I wasn't necessarily looking to build tons of additional leg strength so I was doing you know probably one day a week of a circuit of uh, strength training for legs now it was a lot more than most people did on my team um, 
but generally speaking, I just didn't do a ton of, of that. Once I left school and, and got a little more into lifting, uh, I started just developing a very basic split of two days of upper, two days of lower, and most of it was all machine-based. I got into some powerlifting movements with, uh, with squats. Uh, I, I never deadlifted. I honestly, I did not deadlift ever until I was in my 30s. And when I got to the Monster Garage, that's really where I started having some actual programming and some coaching going on. And it was just a very basic propillions table uh, where I, I mentioned it earlier. So many of these things are kind of based around that in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a three-week version, a four-week version, whatever. But it's, you know, higher reps, lower intensity, working up towards, you know, either one rep or, or two rep, uh, you know, heavy uh, heavy lifts. So many of these things are based around that in some way, shape, or form. And so understanding the philosophy behind that and why it is, I think that's what then evolved into so many different, uh, you know, programs that we've been talking about. That was what I've used, honestly, up until really just a few months ago. Uh, kind of made the switch. I started to see a lot of plateauing in basically everything except for my squad. That was incrementally growing still. Uh, so I, I made the switch over to a different coaching style. It's a significantly higher volume when it comes to the specialty exercises and honestly the the major ones as well. Uh, but it's a different philosophy where it is working a lot more in the seventy five to eighty five percent range of your max, and and really kind of using that as the sweet spot for uh, for growing strength and for growing um, you know a little bit of size too, but uh, you know bringing the lifts on and then incorporating some geared work in there and when i say that i mean like some of the special exercise work to their board work or you know speed however a lot of those you know usually associated with conjugate and west side is now built into the program that i'm using currently okay so again i don't want to give away all the stuff because uh you know my coach uh sean copland does he does a great job and and i again he you know does charge for it so i don't, I don't want to give away all the secrets so okay so I'll talk a little bit about what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually followed kind of your traditional Western periodization style program mm-hmm. and then eventually started doing a little bit more of that Marosher Franz, more heavy singles type work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that is difficult to do a lot of that heavy singles work on a sustained basis. Yes. Um, it definitely works. I mean, heavy singles with a good team around you will get you strong, whether it's West Side Max Effort or whether it's Franz Marosher style with mm-hmm. a team in – you know, your traditional big three. Right. Um, it was around the mid-2000s, I think, that 531 came out, and a lot of us jumped on board with it just because it was something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was – we used it as an off-season program. Um, I never found I got particularly strong on it. Like, I didn't get weaker, but I, I don't think it ever optimized my strength for the big three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's not bad as a – I think for a beginner program, I think as an off-season thing for powerlifters who are geared or even who are doing – Maybe something different, you know. You, it definitely is a lighter weight and some higher reps. Um, I followed uh, a, a, a early juggernaut program mm-hmm. back in the day, which is very similar to five three one with some plus sets. Right. It has some longer cycles in there. Um, about four or five years ago, when Brian Carroll came out with ten twenty life, I adopted that type of program, and that's between my version of five three one. And ten twenty life is mostly how I ride a lot of people's training cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in the last month, uh, myself and at the Janogram, mm-hmm. is that her Instagram? Yes. Uh, at, the, at, at the Janogram, and I have been beta testing a uh, kind of a hybrid ten twenty life. Alpha testing, sir. 
Alpha testing, yeah. No, uh, no betas at this yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, alpha testing, a 1020 life west side <laughs> conjugate uh, hybrid that I've been I've been toying around with trying to try something like that for a while. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily want to go full west side because I don't know that that works for the way I want to train, but it's something I wanted to try. And so her and I who have, you know, Jen and I have both been training, me, 20 years, Jen, probably 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. So we've done probably, she probably followed a conjugate back in the day when she was training with Peter Royo. Um, but she's probably trained a bunch of different type of styles at this point. So sometimes there's value in just doing something different and some you yeah. know, novelty to the exercises. Yep. As long as there's a planned progression, it probably will work. But uh, the people who I write programming for here, they're probably going to get some version of a 10, 20 life off-season program. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are going to get a version of 531. And then when it gets close to meat prep, most people are going to be doing a lot of, you know, I think your 1020 life in season program is actually somewhat similar to what a Marosha Franz system is, where you're going to do some doubles and singles, you know, leading mm-hmm. into the meet, doing your openers a week out. You know, no one's reinvented the wheel totally. Um, the bigger difference with what, again, there's a philosophy behind what 1020 life does. He has a, he has a big focus on, and you can buy his book. I don't want to give away his mm-hmm. whole program. Um, he has a big focus on using the McGill three core exercises as part of your warm up. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a philosophy on never having any failed reps, which I think again is similar with Franz Marosher, even yep. Westside. They don't yep. they don't have a big focus on failing on their lifts unless it's like a a minor assistance exercise. Right. Um, I think that would probably be true of most training programs. Most training programs don't focus a lot on failure unless it's a bodybuilding like forced reps for hypertrophy thing. Right. That, that's actually something Marosher and I talked about extensively when I first got to the Monster Garage is, you know, failing lifts, especially running up into a meet, is almost a surefire way to guarantee a bad meet. It, because you, you just you It build. almost never helps. Yeah. It yeah. happens sometimes, but uh, that was something that was drilled in me by Franz, by Marosher, yep. even the other people who I'd followed online, Ricky Del Crane and yep. Fred Hatfield. None of them recommended going as heavy as you could in the gym. Right. And that's something I think that's tough for newbies. Um, and why I think there is that attraction to West side, because you do get to go heavy all the time. You talked mm-hmm. about that. Yep. Um, you get to have kind of those heavy days frequently and you're just rotating exercises to accommodate that. Yep. Um, it's harder with, you know, a 10, 20 life where you're always kind of having your, your foot a little bit off the gas and some people's philosophy in their mind or the way they like to train, um, at JJ underscore fitness 13, for instance, you know, like to go a little bit balls to the wall more often. And, you know, I have to, he needs someone to be his governor. Yeah. Um, and I do think that the, the success I have had with the people that I program for the ones that do the best are the ones that train here. And, you know, we talked about RP and percentages. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the reasons why I like RP is because, you know, I, as a coach, can watch people and help call their numbers. So mm-hmm. instead of just having, in the past, I would have set numbers for people cycled out over the course of eight weeks, which was, A, was very difficult for me to predict, mm-hmm. um, even on people like my wife and my brother that I knew really well. It's just really hard to predict what numbers somebody needs to do eight weeks out and five weeks out. You know, Sometimes you just have to have a general sense of where you want to be, and then that day see where the person is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned as a coach through the years is – it's really helpful to have that little bit of flexibility and be able to, you know, auto-regulate or regulate them and adjust on the fly. Right. Um, so that's what I've done from a training perspective. Okay. Awesome. 
So, so, let, much, so much alpha testing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's go over some, you know, additional thoughts on, you know, just an overview of some of these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we probably have some people listening to this that are newbie lifters. Yeah. Um, it really doesn't matter what you follow when you start. You're going you're gonna to get stronger. As long as you don't hurt yourself, you're going to get strong pretty much no matter what program you yeah, follow. Yeah, that, that'd be, man, what I would give to, go, to get those beginner gains that cycle back. There's definitely a law. If you haven't had microeconomics, youngins, um, there is the law of diminishing returns that definitely applies to powerlifting and training. Yes. Um, but my biggest recommendation, you know, we had a really skinny kid in here, I think on Thanksgiving break training, and he saw our big man on the gym, Trace, yeah, benching like four plates plus. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how do, you, how do you guys get that strong? And, of course, I Eat. Well, <laughs> I should have said that, but... Uh, it was probably an ambiguous reference for him being a millennial. Yeah. He might have even been a what's what's the one above? Zenial. No, that's that's older. What's younger? Gen iGen maybe? Yeah, maybe. Or Generation Z. Uh he might have even been that young, but I said to him, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah. And he had no no clue. He had no clue what I was talking about. How do you get to Silicon Valley? <laughs> know somebody who works there? Hey. Uh so you know, I, I said to him basically, you know, it takes a lot of time, and, and mm-hmm. you know, get. A, I said, "What kind of program are you following?" He said, "I don't have one." I said, "Well, that's probably your first step is yep. do a search online and find a program and then follow it, be it, be it five through one or whatever." And, you know, a, all a program is when you really think about it, it's it's just a map. It's a planned progression, and yeah. that's what I usually say is that you know you do need a plan. I, I do think in my years of training and training people that I found it's probably better to have a a less stringent than a more stringent plan. And that's yes. what you see with, you know, even Franz, even Westside, even though, yeah, they have specific days, but they don't always know what they're going to do mm-hmm. 10 weeks out. You know, they adjust based on how their lifters are doing and how things are or are not progressing. Yep. And that's also, you look at Ryan Carroll's RPE or choosing attempts type of program where it's like, okay, you see how somebody looks on that day, and you adjust based on that. Right. And that's yeah, kind of what, you know, I've done in the past too. And, you know, typically what we would do is we would call a number uh, for the meet and, you know, we'd have, you know, a 14-week program or whatever it is. And we would adjust as we get closer and closer to me like, hey, well, hey that, that 650 ain't going to happen, man. Or, no, you're actually looking good. We may want to dial that up a little bit. Sure. I, I do think there's a good, you know, goal setting is something that mm-hmm. I think is important. That's why we have a goal board here at 2XL yep. is – have a goal in mind, have a date in mind you want to achieve it, and then work backwards from that goal. What are right. the things you need? That, that's what a training program is. And how you set it up is, you know, you can set it up a myriad of different ways, but yeah. have a goal, make it a reasonable goal. Don't say I'm going to, I mean, I'm not going to go out and say I'm going to squat a thousand pounds. Now, if I want to do that, I, you know, th- it would be like, well, I got to gain like 50 pounds and just do a bunch of gear. Maybe, maybe get a little bit more supplementation and yeah, so just, a just bunch, shoot up. A bunch of other stuff. And it still might never happen. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, have a goal in mind and then work backwards from there. Make sure mm-hmm. it's something reasonable and then see the small things you need to do along the way to get there. Yep. You know, I do think, Bain, there's something to be said for we've talked about training with a group. Oh, yeah. And if you're training with a group versus training alone, I think that should have an influence on how you train. Most of the people who I see do these high-volume programs, squat, bench, deadlift three, four times a week. Well, from what I've seen, most of them train alone, Correct. Or I've many seen, of them. Uh, correct. And, you know, for certain times, you know, if they've got a, a you know, I don't say a max effort or they've got a, a certain weight or, or or 
day that they feel is going to be hard, they may recruit a couple people that are at their gym. Right, but they're not necessarily training with them. No, no, no. They, they don't not have the a way that you and I train together. No, nothing like that. And and I will say this: I, I have. It's interesting. You know, you talk about that. There's been a few people that I've talked about with this particular topic. Is is powerlifting a team sport or an individual sport? And to me, it's it is very much a. It is an individual sport in that you are the one that is competing on meet day, but it is a team sport at the end of the day, especially gear lifting, but all raw even as well. And and folks say, oh no no no, it's not, it's not, it's not. You watch the progression of folks that go from training at their local export or you know life fitness whatever, and then they finally take the plunge and they get to a strength specific type gym, whether it's a a you know powerlifting or whatever. And they find a group that, you know, is like-minded, that wants to be strong, and then knows how to – and learns how to push them. And you'll see – it's not even incremental. I mean, it, it is almost on par with the beginner gains, the way that their lifts go up. And Especially if you have a bunch of people, you know, that give you an unbiased view and correct. say, hey, here's some things to tweak. I, the only the, – I, the, the non-nut huggers is what I call them. The only – the only caution is I see sometimes is you'll have new lifters come in and you have ten people yelling ten different things at them. Yes, that can be an issue. And don't throw up on people. Yeah, and pe- sometimes when new lifters come in here, people say like, you know, don't you want to coach them? And it's like, well, give them a couple weeks because they may never be back. Correct. So sometimes I don't want to. I don't want to use my my capital, my you know, my coaching capital on somebody yep. unless they've hired me to do so. Or unless they've been around and training with the team for a while, and I know that they're not just a, a one-hit wonder because we've had a yep. lot of those in the year. Sure. And I'll let somebody else give them some tips, and then when it's like, okay, they've been here for a few weeks, I'll maybe start with a couple small suggestions, mm-hmm. and then if they take them and they want more, then I'll give them more. And that, yeah, and and for those new lifters, when when you have a seasoned lifter, and I'm not saying myself, but someone like uh, an Eric Stone or a Morosia or somebody like that, if they give you some some input, uh, listen. Listen, because that's, you know, I would say that's one of the things I did when I first got to the Monster Garage. I looked around and said, every single person here knows more than me. And so I have two ears and one mouth. I need to shut the hell up. I need to listen to what's going on. Yeah. And I would say if you start training with people, the best advice I could give you is train however they train. Yep. That's not to say you should just go in the gym blind and, you know, just do whatever they're doing. But, you know, if they have a coach or if they are following a training program. Yeah. Follow that program. If everyone there is doing five three one, say, "All right, let me get my five three one calculator ready and let me follow the same yep. type of program." If everyone there is doing West Side, say, "Okay, should I do the same max effort exercises, you guys? Should I? I would match your days up with them and and train with them because yeah. at the end of the day, you're going to get the best results if everyone around you is at least training similarly. They don't have to be all on the exact same program." But it makes a lot of sense when everyone is kind of moving in the same direction mm-hmm. and training under the same philosophy. Agreed. Now, uh, one of the big questions, and my buddy Donnie Thompson loves to rail on, is deloads versus no deloads. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll get your your. I have strong opinions on this, but your thoughts first, Bane. I I am a fan of the deload. And for those of you that don't know, deload is basically a light day. That's a fancy term right. f- from five three one, and yeah. that's where it came from. Uh, Brian Carroll adapted in his book, but it's basically a light day. Yeah, I I, I feel the deload is is a great thing. I I like it because it gives it gives you something to continuously shoot for. You know, you've got you know I I look at a lot of different methods we've talked about. So you look at a conjugate method where you're consistently you know hitting PRs and growing and you know 
making these gains, at some point you want to have also a light in the tunnel, say, okay, cool, I'm going to come in today. I'm not going to mail it in, but it's a day where it, you know I can focus on a lot of other things that I can start to tweak and look at my recovery. And, and I think it's huge, especially as you get older, recovery is a massive thing that we have to take it to, to think about. Right. And I bet I guarantee you the guys at Westside, they don't have a deload day, but every once in a while they miss a workout. They're out yep. of town. Yep. They, you know, the deloads work themselves in if you don't work them in yourselves. And that's yep. one of the reasons why I like deloads. I had a, a new client tonight I was chatting with about how I'm going to program him. And mm-hmm. he goes out of town sometimes once or twice a month. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, you're going to have a deload week every three or four weeks. So I would just stage your deload weeks on the weeks when you're out of town. And when you go to a hotel gym, you might not have a, a nice squat rack and a bar and a box to do box squats, but right. you could probably find some dumbbells, do some split squats and goblet squats. Yep. And, you know, I did, I did a lot of hotel workouts last year. <laughs> right. And I would say those are the days when you just get in what you can, call it a deload day, and move on. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, gosh, how many people went out of town for Thanksgiving last week? Are you going to go try to find a powerlifting gym when you're on, you know, visiting grandma in Wisconsin, I mean, like I, I used to? I mean, I did, but <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to know because I'm close enough to uh, to Matt Wallace that I was able to hook up with him. So, Well, but at the same time, like... Well, that was happenstance. Right, but it, did you plan your heaviest workout for when you're at the other gym? No, or no. It's like, you know, I've gotten workouts in when we've been out of town at a powerlifting gym, but I don't plan for my heaviest workouts no, there. No, no. I, want that, I want that home field advantage for that. And that's why I usually like deloads personally, and like you talked about, it's about longevity. It's about, you know, even from a mental aspect, mm-hmm. there there's a mental fatigue in knowing that you have a heavy workout coming mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of getting yourself up for it because you know that if it's a heavy day you got to get a little bit more up for that Mm -hmm. than if you're just you know doing a medium day or a light day or working up to your opener yep and it's it's hard mentally for years upon years upon years to always get up every week for that and sometimes it's nice just be able to come in breeze through your workout for me help coach other people Mm -hmm. and you know get i've got some work in and call it a day yep um and when life comes at you i know this sunday you know, my son has his first wrestling meet that we're not sure if he's ready for or not. We're going to talk to the coach. If he says, hey, go, mm-hmm. then I'm probably going to miss my squat day. And <sighs> I should have probably saved my deload for this week, even Man. though I deloaded this past week. Oh, you loaded already. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, that's that's my eating. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, that's my philosophy on deloads. I don't think there was ever deloads at Franz, but it... it it, it happened they, whether it was yeah, planned or not. Exactly. Light days happened when people were out of town or had life come at them. There, I don't know there was technically deload days with my Marosher days, but there was light, heavy days, and then you did start off a training cycle lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between, say, like a 10-20 life and a more traditional Western periodization 8- or 12-week cycle is that your traditional 8- or 12-week cycle is going to just progressively get heavier, and then all your light days are front-loaded versus 1020 life is going to maybe start a little bit heavier, but intersperse those light days in, you know, once every two, three weeks. Right. And the final one we'll go through. Oh, Baines, he's already got a reaction to that. Um, You know, what type of program, how are you going to determine load? Are you going to use percentages? Are you going to use RPE? Are you going to use what the the fancy people call auto-regulation? I use... Probably all of those, mm-hmm. and it it always depends. Um, it depends on the person. It mm-hmm. depends on their personality. It depends on 
how long they've been training. Mm-hmm. It depends on their ego. Um, yes. You know, some people, RPE works really, really well. For a seasoned lifter, it works well because they kind of know themselves and they know how heavy they need to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works fine for beginning lifters. The issue with them, it's twofold. Um, they don't know themselves, and so it's hard to choose RPE. Mm-hmm. But because there's no max for them, right? how am I supposed to determine percentages? Right. So it's almost a double-edged sword with newer lifters. Um, I don't know... To me, I don't. I can't think of any other better way to load them other than say, "Hey, this is a medium day. This is a." I guess I could use just words instead mm. of numbers. Right. It's the same. I. It's the same philosophy, whether it's letters, words, or whatever, though. Right. Uh, I just personally, I'm a fan of percentages, even for newer lifters. Like I, I feel like it's it's giving them the range to work with RPE. My my issue with that is for just about all lifters, even seasoned lifters, and and some people will not agree with me on this, and that's fine. I don't feel people are honest enough with themselves. I really don't. I think if you're if you're just feeling good that day, whether the weight feels heavy or not, you may say, "Hey, this is a, you know, an RPE 6 and it really should be an RPE 8." And if you don't have a a team around you that can help you be honest and B, you're self-critical enough to be able to say, "Yeah, and this this was a tough lift." I just think that that the RPE in the long term is not a good uh, system. I much prefer the percentages. You may end up, you know, missing out on the lift. You know, again, you think in long term, right? Hey, I thought I was going to get seven hundred five, but you know, didn't happen. I would much rather work within that because uh, I feel like again, you ha- if you're working in, and I'm using the brilliant system as a uh, a baseline for this. I know as long as I'm working that week in the sixty to seventy percent range or in the seventy to eighty percent range. I'm still very much on the program. RPE, I just I don't feel people are honest enough. Here's the here's the problem. Beginners, they have no max. So what percentage are you going to use? So and, and that's where I, I want a season coach. Again, you're going to get somebody programming you. They're going to call a number and then right. But they, know, then it's not percentages. It's basically uh, to me. I, I use RPE, especially people that I coach. And when right. I say coach, I mean somebody I'm actually with personally. Right. Um. I'll, not just online programming. <laughs> right. Um. A, so that's one reason why I – and I do use percentages, but with a new person, it's hard to use percentages because mm-hmm. even if they have a max, it's bullshit. You yeah. want to talk about what's bullshit? <laughs> new lifters training maxes are bullshit. Amen. I will not argue that at I had, all. I had a new client that came in here about a month ago, and he showed me a video, which I have no idea how long ago it was, with him deadlifting 405, 450. And it was a, he's a big dude. Like We're talking six foot three, 300-plus pounds. It's a big unit. And so I'm like, well, I always, with new people, still always err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. And we'd done a full warm-up. We'd done the McGill three-core work. Mm-hmm. I thought we were working well on bracing. We were doing some deadlifts and blocks, not even all the way from the ground. We do two plates, look solid. Mm-hmm. Do two plates, throw a 10 on there, so 20 pounds heavier. Okay. Tweaks his back on the first round. Wah, wah. And so should I have gone lighter? I don't know. It's hard to say. But if I had been using percentages with him and said, okay, we're just going to work up to 70% for the day, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been way too effing heavy for him. And he, right. Even what it was, which was like you know, 50%, was too heavy for him. Right. So that's why I don't always use percentage with beginners. With season lifters like myself or Jennifer Gimmel or people, especially those in gear, mm-hmm. I can't use my geared numbers for – my usual training, which is not in gear, right. which is in, you know, maybe briefs. And that's where all these different variables come into it where percentages can't work. And I have to figure out a way to determine load. 
how much of my, you know, fully canvas suit, you know, well, we someone know, else wrapping we, my... We know the gear adds 300 pounds plus to a squat, <laughs> so just take that off and you're good to go. Right. So <laughs> how much of my meat best squat should I be doing for paused sets of five squats and light briefs Again, and light wraps? 140%. <laughs> so that's why I use RPE. And you could call it whatever the F you want. Maybe I'll come up with a different name for the... You could swear. It's okay. For the, for the, boy. For the stone strength systems, triple yes. S. Um, yes. I'll come up with a different system and uh, and put that in there. Stre- strength and anger training? Yeah, strength and... Oh, I like that. Strength yeah. and anger training. Uh, yeah. Online program available. Sat. Swipe up. Uh, it's available now. <laughs> 9.99 special holiday deal. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you have to figure out a way to determine load if... All variables aren't the same. And everybody does that on their accessory work. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like when you're doing good mornings, Bane, mm-hmm. you're using a percentage. Are you using a percentage of your squat max? Uh, no, sir. Okay, right. So you're, you're at some point, you're doing some kind of, quote, auto-regulation. You maybe aren't putting an RPE 5 through 10 scale on Yeah, it. I think RPE is fucking stupid. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're stupid. It's <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> that, is, that is not wrong at all. <laughs> uh, well, we're getting a little angry here at the end, just, so that's good. I just don't like it, so I want it to be illegal. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on training programs, Bane? Uh, for new people looking for a training program, maybe? Yeah, so, so my advice is get something. Get a baseline. It's just like when people say, oh, I, I want to get strong enough to do my first meet. You're strong enough. Get, go sign up for a meet right well, now. Well, let's, let's pump the brakes there. Oh. Let's make sure that you can perform the big three adequately before you do a meet. Get six months. We talked about this in our first meet episode. Get six months of training under your belt. Make sure you can squat to depth. You don't need but, to get to but, a requisite strength level. Most of the folks that are talking about getting out of a program probably already have that kind of base. Sure. Right. So they, they, they're uh, probably not just this geek off the street. Nothing wrong with being a geek, by the way. Uh, saying, I've never lifted a weight before in my life, and I want to do a powerlifting meet. Sure. To be fair, none of them are going to ask. Right. So uh, with a program, I'm going to say, as we've already said, it, almost any one of these is going to give you some and, and probably a decent amount of benefit. And then you can determine, hey, is is this really the right one for me? Are you going to plateau pretty quick? You, you know, I, I really feel it's just take the first step. Sure. Be on a program. Yep. Have a plan of progression. Yep. Sometimes different Training programs fit people's personality better. For me, having a traditional squat bench deadlift split mm-hmm. works well with my way I like to train. Mm-hmm. For other people, if they like to squat bench deadlift three times a week because they just like to practice the big three, yeah. and if that works for them, great. Gives um, you a lot of content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Did I go there? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, but, you know... The other part we talked about is, you know, how are you training? Are you training by yourself in your basement or are you training, you know, with a group of people? If you're training with a group of people, maybe see what they're doing and see if you can adapt that. Yep. If you're training by yourself, you know, and we've talked about this before, I don't think online programming is really coaching. I think coaching is in person. Mm-hmm. You can kind of do online coaching if you're really doing like some live Skype sessions and watching a ton of their videos. I still don't think it's quite the same. Nope. But that being said, if you train by yourself, I don't think there's anything wrong with hiring somebody to write your programming for you mm-hmm. and send their videos and get critique if you train by yourself. Or in my case, I hired Brian Carroll for a while because there's nobody here that mm-hmm. I wanted to program for me. So I just wanted an objective third party to help me for a while. And, and that's really, if you're going to pay the money for somebody, that's what you want. You want an objective third party. And I, I wanted huge. and I wanted somebody smarter than me. Not that people here aren't smarter than me. Mm-hmm. 
they're plenty smarter than me. I certainly am not, but <laughs> I'm just but, a big dumb animal. <laughs> but I did want somebody, you know, that could program for me that had as much or more knowledge and experience as I did. Yep. And you and you, between the two of you, you guys can have a very informed conversation on the program, understanding the philosophy behind it, and then how you're adapting to now, it. Now, that being said, do you go do you need to go out and hire an online coach? No. It, I mean, if you've got the money and they're not too expensive and you yeah. think you get a good value from it, sure. I Personally, I would think you would be better off spent spending your money on some gas and driving 10 more minutes to a powerlifting gym and turning with a group of people. I concur. And, you know, just figure out what program they follow there. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the owner there sells programming for yeah. a very affordable price that you could swipe, uh, that up, you, swipe up for. That you could swipe up for. <laughs> <laughs> Is that selling out or just promoting? Yeah, it's just promotion. Just promotion. Okay, understood. Promoting Um, the brand. Promoting the brand. At 2XL Powerlifting, 2XL Powerlifting on Facebook, (laughs) at Bane316. Anything else, Bane, before we really go off on some tangents here? I I think I'm good, man. This has been uh, been a fun one. Yeah, no, I think think this is actually... We've had more content on this one than I thought we would. Yeah, yeah, Um, and we... Oh, and I'm, we, excited. I'm excited. For and we only time. really scratch the surface on training programs. We went over oh, the yeah. ones that you and I kind of do and have experience with. Obviously, I mean, you could Google powerlifting programs and there's going to be umpteen in there. Oh, yeah. There's you know, so there's, many. There's under that umbrella of high frequency, high volume, there are a ton. You know, there's Smoloaf and Shiko, Sheko, whatever. And, and so many of them. Um, you know, there's some similar to that Western periodization. You can go find your Ed Cohen programs yep. and. And here's the thing: you're going to see a lot of these start to. You're also going to see the copycats, right? The people that just take five three one and just put their own brand on it, and you know, one three five, and they just <laughs> throw it out. I mean, there. There, I'm not going to name who it was, but I know there's a guy who Brian Carroll wrote programming for, and then literally turned around and sold it as his own program. Yep. Like almost with the charts exactly the same as Brian Carroll sent to him. Yep. And then we got called out. That was not good. Yeah. So. If you're going to hire somebody or if you're going to buy a program, go to the go to the original source. Like if you want to follow Conjugate, go buy the Westside Book of Methods and read it. Yeah. Now, that's not to say you couldn't f- hire somebody like uh, a guy that we've seen a lot of our meets, uh, Anthony Oliveria, who has his own brand of trigger warning Conjugate yep. and does some online coaching. Yep. Or shoot, you want to hire Dave Hoff, the, the yeah. king of Multiply right now that yeah. I know does some, not a lot because he has a regular day job, yeah. who does some online programming and coaching. Sure, that makes sense. Um, but if even if you hire them, I mean, I've had clients who I program for and follow a ten twenty life, and I've mm-hmm. told them go out and buy ten twenty life. It's not a secret what I'm doing. Right. I would actually rather you read the book and understand what I'm doing, mm-hmm. why I'm doing it, and how I'm doing it, um, so that you could better understand the way that I'm programming it for right. you. No, I, I agree hundred percent. So. I think that is all for tonight, Bane. Next week, so. we, are, I think, are finally going to get a live interview. Yes. We've got the iRig 2 yes. finally working. I knock on my microphone, hope <laughs> that it will work. Oh, I'll knock on wood. Don't you worry. Oh, my God. <laughs> on that note, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anchor. <laughs>